As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Booked on Rock. I'm Eric Senich. Our guest this episode, Richard James, author of Tom Petty, Every Album, Every Song. At the Hollywood Bowl, California, on September 25th, 2017, the final song of the final concert of the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers 40th anniversary tour was, almost inevitably, American Girl, the classic from the band's 1976 debut album. Seven days later, Thomas Earl Petty was dead. When Petty died, we lost one of the great singer-songwriters of our era. His songs touch people of all ages and possess a timeless quality which will ensure they will live on for years to come. Petty's music speaks of freedom and rebellion, of doing what you want to do, of not compromising your integrity, and, fundamentally, of speaking the truth. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers evolved from a fledgling rock and roll band from Gainesville, Florida, into becoming an American music institution, being incorporated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in March 2002. Most people have heard the big hits, Free Fallen, Refugee, among others. But there's so much more to enjoy in Petty's extensive back catalog. Tom Petty, Every Album, Every Song, delves into every aspect of Petty's 40-year recording career, album by album and song by song, to uncover the extraordinary consistency and quality of this much-missed musician. Richard James immersed himself in music as soon as he got his first real six string at the age of 10. Previously chained to a desk for a living, he managed to escape and, armed with a music degree from the Open University and a licentiate diploma in classical guitar from the Royal School of Music, he now roams the East Midlands as a freelance guitarist and music teacher. He lives with his wife in Leicestershire. His first book was UFO On Track, also published by Sonic Bond. To hear the music discussed in this episode, go to the show notes page. Richard, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to talk to a fellow Petty fan. Oh, absolutely. And when did you become a Tom Petty fan? This is going way back to 1978. Um... I was at school, and my best friend and I, both guitarists, we we sort of tried to find bands that would surprise the other one. So, if you 
he he came across uh, "You're Gonna Get It," the second Petty album, and he went and bought a copy of it on cassette. Incidentally, we're still we're still best of friends, so this is going back a, a long time. Um, and I, I I forget what I I bought to the table that day. It might have been oh, no, can't think. Probably it was um, a, a, the the latest Sabbath. But I just loved the sounds of "You're Gonna Get It." I've never heard anything quite so vibrant and well written and well played and energetic and just it. I, I didn't know quite what to expect when you you put on you know a, what was then a cassette in, but um, wow, yeah, loved it from that loved him from that point on. And did you grow up in the UK? Yes, absolutely. Still live in the UK, in the middle, um, in uh, Leicestershire, which is about a, an hour by train north from London. But we're we're bang in the middle. And how popular was Petty at that time in the UK? Well, it's difficult to gauge when you're 16 because um, I I read I, I'd heard about him through um, a, a musicians magazine that was published then called Beat Instrumental, and they did in-depth reviews and interviews with um, bands that were either up-and-coming or well-established. So I'd read about Tom Petty, and certainly he he came over here, they had come over here, the Heartbreakers, and the, we, we, as a country, we, we took to them far quicker than um, the, in the States did. Isn't that interesting, too, a band from Florida takes off in the UK before the US. It didn't really make any sense that a, a Florida sort of southern bluesy rock and roll all manner of things band with a kind of not exactly a Dylan-esque vocal style but that kind of sneery um, not definitely not punkish but not uh, your, your, your instant likable voice. This is someone who had, you know was getting things off his chest he uh, just arrived at the right time, I think. And at the time, the, uh, the there was the new wave, which was the latest musical fashion, and Petty got kind of lumped into that. Um, and it, from from there on, right, what's the next album coming out? Oh, I've got to get that. And how many others has released? Right, well, there's made one other. So you, you just went and bought whatever you could and so i i i suppose i got in almost at the ground floor it's very similar to my story but mine was late 80s 89 summer of 89 i jumped on yeah. board during the full moon fever album and then went back got all the old stuff and then from that point on whenever he put something out i got it but i think what yeah. what you said is is interesting about what it was that you connected with him. He was like the everyday guy. He almost felt like he was your best friend. He was the guy who was going through the struggles of the everyday person. He wasn't the quote-unquote rock star. And I think that's no, what people connected it, with. The, the lyrics and the way he put them across just captured it for me. It was you know, very melodic, but equally powerful and very well arranged, very well played. But you could tell that everyone in the band really liked the music. And it, it, it just came across as something that, God, these people are singing about my life. But they're not, obviously. 
but you could. That, I think that's the sort of the, the petty skill is that you, you just write songs that whatever you age you are or whatever's going on in, in your life, he just captures something that you can relate to. It's a real skill. That to me is what, why he's just so and continue long may popularity continue. You know, he doesn't sort of fade away like some people into a, into a niche you know, a, a niche record bin or something. His songs just work. You can listen to them time and time again. And whatever mood you're in or whatever circumstance you're in, there's a petty song that will just fit you like a glove. So it's, it's amazing, really. It is. And I wanted to get to his lyrics and how he could really emote in such a concise way. We'll get to that as we go through his catalog. But before we do that, you write about his backstory in the introduction. He's born October 20th, 1950 in Gainesville, Florida. His father, Earl, was an abusive alcoholic, but his mom, Kitty, was a loving mother. Music was his safe place, the often told story, but always fun to recall. He had the chance to see Elvis Presley filming his movie, Follow That Dream, even had the chance to meet him, thanks to his uncle who was working on set. The story is that he attended the scene filmed at a bank in... Ocala, Florida. Also, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, like so many of his contemporaries, a huge influence. But he was told by his fathers and school teachers that music could never be a career for him. Rather than believing them, he became determined to prove them wrong. And he did. 80 million plus record sales, sold out concerts the world over. And I think it's so important to remind anyone who is told they can't do something. There is a story like Tom Petty's that says people can say what they want, but it's what we believe about ourselves that matters. And Tom Petty is proof. That's why I think this book is important to have out there for people to read, especially the youngsters who are just starting out, want to be a musician or whatever they want to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, being told, no, you can't, or it'll never work, is sometimes the absolute um, driver for your life. You said, I couldn't do it. Look, I've done it. I think that. That speaks to so many people of whatever age, you know, whatever th their, you know, career or life choices are. You know, you'll never be a professional athlete. Oh, okay. Now try and watch me. And also, it goes to the stories of the um, the wounded uh, servicemen, the men who you know lose a leg, or you'll never walk again, or you'll never achieve this. It's it's the willpower, the desire to succeed, and being told no, you can't. In the right circumstances, certainly with Petty, just well, that was it. That was petrol on the uh, on the on the bonfire, wasn't it? Off you go. So let's get to that debut, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album, which was released in November of 1976. Lineup: Tom Petty vocals, guitar; Mike Campbell, guitar; Ben Montench, keyboards; Ron Blair on bass; Stan Lynch on drums. Both American Girl and Breakdown are on this debut. Two songs that remain standout tracks. American Girl is among the defining tracks of Tom Petty's catalog, yet this album wasn't the breakthrough hit you would think. It came and went pretty fast, only to have its day about a year later. That's a strange thing. You're Gonna Get It is, I, to my ears, a more cohesive collection. It, it takes all the attributes of the first album and hones them, polishes them, and just presents the entire band better. That becomes a hit, and then people are going back saying, oh, yes, this, the first album. So I, I like the first album a lot because it's, it's, it's eclectic. It's a little bit chaotic. Um, 
that, you know, there's American Girl and Breakdown on there. If the rest was rubbish, you'd still be very, very happy with American Girl and Breakdown. And the rest isn't rubbish. They're just um, lesser-known gems. It's true. It took me a while to go and get that particular album. I don't know why it is. I knew about the two hits. I started with the second album, went forward. Actually, I would say the third. I started with Damn the Torpedoes, went forward, mm-hmm. caught up to Full Moon Fever, went back and got the, the first two albums, which I, I don't know why right. it took me so long, but I'm glad I finally did. The first album does have a lot of gems in there. It's certainly worth a listen. And it's interesting just to hear how he started out, how that chemistry develops over time with those guys. That lineup was pretty solid throughout with the exception of that one change with the bass. But that was pretty much the lineup for, what was it, good 10 years or more? Well, certainly, yes. Um, Ron Blair did four albums. Then Howie Epstein came in on Long After Dark, which is the, the, the fifth of the kind of classic era of heartbreakers. And then once Howie's disconce, then you've got Stan Lynch leaving later on. And then, well, after Epstein's tragic death, of course, then you've got the rather neat... Um, replacement of him by Ron Blair coming back once again. So you've got, even in the final years of the Heartbreakers, you've got four of the people who played on the original albums, on the first first few albums. That's an incredible um, loyalty. And the fact that they, they just keep making music. You know, Campbell and Tench were there from day one till the final concert. That's in the in the way that some bands change through lineups, with just perhaps a vocalist or a guitarist being the from the original one, is is a really impressive um, cohesion. I think that gets to people as well. The fact that you know they they stick together. Oh, it did for me. They don't always sound like the Handbreakers, but it's always the same musicians by and large that are making all these great songs sound so good. It's like here in the U.S. with these sports teams, and I, and I suppose it's, it's the same in the U.K. You can speak to it more, but a lot of these teams, the uniform, I don't know how much it means anymore because players go from team to team, and when you do have a player that's with one team their entire career, there's there's a certain connection you have to that player, and that was kind of the feeling I had with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, especially when you had guys that were there in the beginning come back. This is like a family. Yeah. It's it's certainly not the Steely Dan approach of um, picking the the very finest studio musicians and having them dotted around an individual track here and there. You know, it's the same fundamentally the same four guys playing music four decades later. That, that's really something. That debut, by the way, we talked about in the UK being more popular in the US in the early days. That debut reached number fifty-five in the US, twenty-four in the UK, and then the follow-up. You're going to get it. That's released early May 1978, hits the top 40 in the U.S., 23 in the U.S., 34 U.K., first gold record, over 500,000 sales. The working title was Terminal Romance, which I didn't know. I Need to Know and Listen to Her Heart, the two singles. I Need to Know almost hit the top 40, number 41. What are the highlight moments from this Mm -hmm. album, in your opinion? Uh, (laughs) All 10 tracks. No, that's a bit too uh, too flippant, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) I... 
I, I can listen to it over and over again, and it takes me back to myself and my, my friend Mike sitting in my bedroom listening to the cassette and just playing it over and over again. And then, of course, right, I'm going to go and buy that record. Um, the, the songs that really work are, for me, When the Time Comes, which is just a brilliant opener. It's just astonishing. Hurt is a great, great song. Magnolia is one of those edgy ballads. It's, 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 a, it's a love song. It's a, it's a regret song, but it's got an undercurrent of, um, of dissatisfaction and disappointment to it, which I think just really works. Tuma Chanting Up is a, just a, a, a riotous riff fest. I Need to Know is one of the best songs ever written. And Listen to Her Heart is it's just timeless. It comes from, you know, you can hear the 60s in it, but if it's played now, you don't think, oh, that's an old song from the 60s. It's like the best of the Beatles. It's so good, it works whenever you play it. There is nothing wrong with that song at all. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And that is kind of, I think, the magic of it. it the, the other tracks, No Second Thoughts, Restless, are great. But they, they don't, to me, have the, the staying power. And Baby's a Rock and Roll, which closes the album. It's, it's a bit of fun. It's, it's, it's good time rock and roll. It doesn't want to be taken too seriously. But the, I think I need to know, listen to her heart, Magnolia hurts, and when the time comes. As, as well as the title track. That's a, it's an unusual title track. They just convey so much in such a short time. And that, that's one of the things I keep coming back to with the early albums, criticism of it. You know, that in the time, at that time, you would have vinyl records, which you could get up to about 40 minutes on, and cassettes, the same. And they'd barely make it over half an hour. This one was under time. 29 minutes, it, 38 seconds. 
And it, it's just, you must have more songs. It, it, <laughs> I suppose it's the saying, isn't it? Always leave them wanting more. We could squeeze on two or three more songs. But perhaps the idea was just short, sharp, punch. There you go. And we know he had more songs. He was always writing. Well, yeah. I mean, any any songwriter knows that, you know, you have your, um, your golden patches and then you think, I can't do this. I've got nothing. It never seemed, whenever a Petty album came out, it just seemed he was drawing from a, a never-ending well. I, a couple of the later albums, I, uh, I, I, I struggle with. I don't. I certainly don't find um, "Into the Great Wide Open" or "Highway Companion." I don't find those two as engaging. But equally, there's some really good stuff on on both of them. But you know, you can forgive a couple of what I think of as mediocre albums in a twenty-plus album career. It's, it's not a bad return. The next album, The Breakthrough, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Damn the Torpedoes, released in October of 1979, number two in the U.S., 57 in the U.K. You write that the title of the album is appropriate. It has a connection to the Civil War. Yes, and also his Petty's personality, from what you read of it, um, he had a an attitude, a pro- well, I say a problem with authority, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't a problem in the long run, but he just, if he thought something wasn't right, he would not allow it to happen. And the, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead, we're just getting, you know, the word is no, but we're going to do it anyway. I think that encapsulates Petty as, as an artist. He is just going to do what he wants to do. And everybody who tells... I mean, again, it's going back to the parent-teacher thing, but the record company's saying, oh, well, not keen on this, or with hard promises trying to... the follow-up album trying to... Uh, be surprised because Damn the Torpedoes have been such a success. It's that constant digging your heels in and saying, no, this isn't right, and I am not going to have it. And I think that's a, an admirable trait, especially when it would have been far too easy just to say, yeah, I'm a superstar now. How was he with Jimmy Iovine? Because he is now into the picture here, the legendary producer Jimmy Iovine. He's behind the boards for this album. Did he have his battles with Tom Petty? I I, I get the feeling that they were like-minded souls. They wanted to produce the best possible record. Denny Cordell, who produced um, You're Gonna Get It and uh, the, the debut album. He stood aside. He he felt that Iovine would um, up the game. Um, and, you know, what a decision that is, to stand back from your baby and say, no, actually, there's somebody better than me for you, and here he is. So I think the, 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 the stories that circulate about Stan Lynch, the drummer, getting fired on a regular basis um, are <laughs> grist to the mill that... Petty and Iovine and Shelley Yakos, the engineer, they were a kind of triumvirate of a, a powerhouse for perfection. And you, you read of the number of times that Refugee was recorded before they got the right take. And um, you think, wow, that would drive most musicians crazy. But they were completely resolute, dogged determination to make 
an exceptional sounding record. And again, you've got such a strong collection of songs. It's, it's like the tap that you can't turn off. You, know, you, you ally Iovine's production with Petty's songwriting and the Heartbreakers playing. It's very hard to resist that. And of course, people didn't. They bought it in the, well, the shed load, and rightly so. Iovine wanted every song to be a single live take. This wasn't something Stan Lynch was happy about. This may have been the first time. <laughs> this may have been the first time Stan walked out. Well, it walked out was sacked. I have so much time for Stan Lynch because, and I'm, I'm not a drummer. I'm a, a guitarist by trade. But to me, the energy and the just sheer joy he puts into his playing is great. He makes the first five Heartbreakers albums sound so good. Yes, you've got the songs. Yes, you've got the production and the contributions from all the other players. But it, it, the way he drives the song along, I think, is exceptional. But he, he got a, you know, what, what people refer to as a, a big personality, and he would clash. So he would walk out, or he would be sacked, and they'd get somebody else in, and then, oh, it doesn't sound the same, does it? Uh, better get Stan back then. So it's that kind of um, creative friction that I think added so much, almost, um, you can't pin it down, but you know when you've got it, energy. Which is why with the when Lynch left permanently in the early 90s, the records after that, they sound great. But they'd sound even better if Lynch was drumming on them. I'm so glad you brought that Just up. Yeah, I'm no, I'm just my view. One hundred percent on board with you, and you're one of the few people that have actually first person ever just bring it up. But one of the few when I bring it up, agree. It seems most didn't really. I don't want to say didn't care, but it just didn't really matter all that much. But when he was gone, I remained a fan, of course, and I loved the music he made. But it was missing that Stan Lynch beat. He had such a feel a finesse and a power and his fills were so unique and his beats. A great example is one of my favorite deep tracks from Petty night watchman, that great groove and his work with the symbols. Yep. It, it was sorely missed by me, but I would ask some people who weren't the diehard hardcore music fans that weren't listening to every little detail. They didn't notice it one way or the other. And I would be thinking, no. how could you not? It's so different. The beats were spacious after him. Wildflowers, spacious beats, very mechanical, I would say. And it's it it it, hmm. it it's it's also the age at which you hear it, isn't it? But I mean, yeah. I adored the first five albums, and I still do. Now I'm a lot older, and I appreciate the later albums, and some of them I really like a lot. But each, especially as I was going through, and I, I, I make you know, references to Lynch throughout the book after he has left, and he's you know he's been out of the heartbreak as long as he was in them. But I think when you listen to even something like Southern Accents, he does virtually nothing in the Southern Accents, the song rather than the entire album. 
but there's just it's his it got a re, such a, a deep feel for the music he he constructed drum parts that really worked with the arrangements whereas subsequent drummers and you know i i'm i'm not a i'm not criticizing here um well not deliberately they just whilst being excellent drummers they just you felt they could be anybody yeah and i don't know it if he'd have played if lynch had played on echo or um she's the one any of the um any of the later albums i think they would have been even better for his presence well i'll put this out there how about don't come around here no more the use of a drum machine it might be the oh. only only track where there's a use of a drum machine where it actually has aged well. It still works. Whereas you listen to albums from the mid '80s, and a lot of fans would say, "Boy, I wish they'd redo that album and just remove the electric drums or the drum machine." And with that, not at all. No, it, don't come around here no more. Is it's a song of two parts, isn't it? Um, the what spoils Southern accents so completely for me is the production. It it makes my teeth itch. But there's some great songs on there. Not many, but the really good ones like Rebels and Don't Come Around Here No More are superb. And yeah, it it's it's when the song kicks into the double time into the rock talk section with the instrumental you can almost hear Lynch shouting out, finally, now I can hit things hard. But, yeah, the inclusion of the drum machine, I... There's so many jokes about drummers and drum machines, of course, but it, it, it works in the context. But if you've got a really, really good drummer, use the really, really good drummer. I think he did it live, right? He used the real drums live. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it, it, the Southern Accents, the album is to me is so so sunk in eighties production values that it, it it's it's harder to enjoy the songs, and the good ones are still great. And you know, Southern Accents is one of the greatest songs ever written because there isn't any eighties production over it. It's just a great, great song that's left alone. And piano, drums, and those fantastic string arrangements. Beautiful. Just perfection. But you haven't got um, David Stewart, David A. Stewart, to give him his correct name. Yeah. You haven't got anything with it. And that's what I feel uh, like, you know, you, you get into later in the career and Jeff Lynn enters the picture. Now, there's a Lynn sound which works fantastically well on Full Moon Fever. And then you put the Lynn sound into, or onto, rather, into the great wide open. And it's just mushy and horrible and dull. And that that's such a disappointing album. And it goes on for far too long. And so much of it sounds like, it, like other tracks of it. So, yeah, it's... But yeah. again, it was off the time. And, and, you know, you think, well, Full Moon Fever, there's the stratospheric success. The band's 
by and large, aren't very happy with Tom's, you know, elevation into you know, such a high-profile figure. So let's pour the Lynn magic onto the Heartbreakers now. It's yeah, it's absolutely the next step, but it doesn't work. And it's uh, and it's because the Heartbreakers are a rock and roll band who should be recorded like a rock and roll band, which is where Rick Rubin's work just brings them to life again. They sound like a proper rock and roll band rather than a layered, assembled, um, produced to within an inch of their life um, collection of musicians. Yeah, David A. Stewart is one of the producers on Southern Accents. I forgot about that. I know he contributed yes. to the song. Yeah. So you say he messed with the sound? Yes. It's too busy. You know, there's clever little bits and pieces of studio trickery going, studio trickery, excuse me, going on all over the place. Um, but you, he wrote or co-wrote three of the songs. Let's have a quick look as to. We got it up here too. Track listing. He wrote "It Ain't Nothing to Me." Don't come around here That's no not a more. Great song. Make it Don't better. Don't come around here no more. Fabulous. Yeah. Make it better. Absolutely hopeless. Yeah, strange you know, inclusion. Just And they made a video wrong. for it, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I remember when listening to the album when it, first, when it first came out, and you think, great, another Tom Petty album. And then, oh, I really don't like this very much at all. And over time, the, strong, the stronger songs have, have stayed the course. But it's the first one where you think, I don't think we've got it anymore. This sounds, you know, this sounds wrong. And when you've got songs, you know, It Ain't Nothing To Me is disposable. Make It Better To Forget About Me is rubbish. Dogs On The Run and Mary's New Car, well, they're okay. But that's all they are. And the best of everything is a lovely closing ballad. But that's still half of the material which is to my ears just not the standard that you're hoping for and when the previous five albums have been such solid collections that's quite a quite a you know a wrench to take you think oh i'm not sure now i used to love him but now what's going on the booked on rock podcast will return after this as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We're back with more of the Booked on Rock podcast. Before we get on to the post Southern Accent albums, I want to go over mm. the ones before that. And we were talking about Damn the Torpedoes. Just before yeah. we move on past that one, just to illustrate how popular that album was, so many hits on that one. Don't Do Me Like That, number 10, Refugee 15, Here Comes My Girl 59. Even The Losers on that album, too, it wasn't a huge hit, but still a classic. Uh, then we go to Hard Promises, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Hard Promises, released in May of 1981, number five in the U.S., yep. 32 U.K. Jimmy Iovine is back for this one, and you note that a standout aspect of this album, three of the ten tracks are ballads. Very, very different sounding album. Whereas with um, Damn the Torpedoes, you've got um, Louisiana Rain stuck on the end. Here, it's, it's, it's a much more varied collection. Um, and songs like Something Big and Letting You Go, it, it, it showed to me a, a, a depth and um, a growth of what Petty Pelty, the band, should be doing. So, you know, there's, there's some, I mean, the, the waiting. I mean, what's mm. an album opener? You, you just don't get better than that. But then you've got a lot of subtlety and dynamic power in A Woman in Love. Night Watchman has got that gritty, fantastic groove to it. And also, the, in all of the, um, the early albums, it's the use of percussion that I noticed when um, listening to them again to write the book. So many elements of the songs are covered with percussion. But something big... Almost just an acoustic rock song. Fabulous. And then we're back to the rockers with um, King's Road and The Thing About You. But Insider, which gives the, um, the, the, the title, the album title, is a wonderful, wonderful ballad. It's not a ballad in the conventional sense. It's, it's very dark, very brittle and bitter. But it... Yeah, there's there's such shading in this album, such a, a different um, palette of colours, really. Yeah, there's the rockers, but you've got those counterbalanced with much more emotively open um, lyrics and some very different songs that you just think, ah, okay, this is good. And not just rock, 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 rock. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes. One of the things I didn't realize, speaking of things going on behind the scenes and Insider, that features Stevie Nicks, and her presence was not welcomed by the band? Well, yeah, the Heartbreakers were a gang of Florida guys who got together, and suddenly there's this megastar vocalist wanting to be part of the band. And, um, and the friendship that Petty struck up with her I think caused caused some tension in in the first. I, 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 I quite like Fleetwood Mac, but I'm I'm no fan of 
Stevie Nicks' vocal style. And um, sev- I put in several jokes about um, her singing style in the in the original text, and they got um, axed by the editor. Probably quite right too, but it was quite funny. But um, each time she turned up, I had a different joke about her. I when you, you get to Insider. When it appears without Nicks, which I think is on the playback discs, or is it on American Anth- on American Treasure? There's a version of it without her, and to me, it sounds yes, it's on disc four of um, of American American Treasure. It sounds better, hmm. um, but you know, he she wanted a song. She was involved with Iovine at the time. Um, and so the uh, the song stopped dragging my heart around was Steve a Stevie Nicks single with Petty and the Heartbreakers, and instead you know, that 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 rightly you know went up the charts and did very very well, but um, I don't know it's it, to me her presence is not always a good thing. Hmm. What about A Woman in Love, It's Not Me? That's another great song. You cite a couple of lyrics oh. from it that make the song, as you wrote, a long-term winner. It's just what Petty can do with a few words. She's the kind of woman you have in your hold. She doesn't understand the problem. She let the little things go. That That's a complete relationship in a couple of sentences. You listen to that and you think, yeah, that's that to me is perfect lyric writing because you can take so much from it or you can just enjoy it as part of the song. But if you delve in deep, you, you suddenly think, yeah, there's a lot there, that, a, a lot of wisdom that just carries on. It's, it's just very, very clever, intelligent, um, empathic writing. Um, and I'm sh- sure that's why he appeals to so many people of of so many ages. He has many, I guess you could say, tattoo worthy lyrics, short and concise, so they could, <laughs> they could fit. They could fit anywhere on the body. <laughs> yes. I tried to put a Grateful Dead. Li- I tried to put some Grateful Dead lyrics as a tattoo on me, and the guy's like, "Way too many words." <laughs> Petty's got short and concise for you. There you go. It'll fit right there. Yeah. So yes, if you've got a massive massive waistline, then perhaps you're in with a shout. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I've never thought of tattoo lyrics. I, I like that. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use that. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's your next book, tattoo worthy lyrics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, a, a, a journey through songs best lyricists. Yeah. Yes, that, that, that's got some legs, legs to it, doesn't it? Songs no good for the forearm. Songs good for the ankle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, we talked about Southern Accents, which came out in 1985. I want to get to a couple albums that came out that were overlooked, and maybe for good reason. 1982's Long After Dark, and another one, 1987's Let Me Up, I've Had Enough. Long After Dark did well. It's got one of his biggest hits, You Got Lucky. But Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, that's taken the most hits. Looking back on Petty's career, critics take some shots at it. What are your thoughts on Let Me Up, I've Had Enough? Yeah, to me, oh, it's, a, it's an album of two halves. The good stuff, which 
is really the Mike Campbell involvement again is really good. But equally, Petty was and had well, Petty and the Heartbreakers have toured with Dylan and Dylan's sort of. I've never seen Bob Dylan live, and I've no real wish to. But his, I understand that his style of live performance was very much a case of, well, let's do this song. Oh, right. And let's do it in this key. What? Okay, so y- your band has to be absolutely ready for everything. And this sort of freewheeling, almost improvised nature sort of influences Petty's writing and performance. And not to the good, I think there's some some songs on this album which just don't, they're just not that good. I mean, thinking of the damage you've done is okay, but all mixed up and self-made man. Really, how many more days? And, and the title track are really nothing special. And yet, you put that up against songs like Jamming Me, Runaway Trains, and the absolutely beautiful It'll All Work Out. And it, it, it's such a such a contrast. And Campbell has the, had has the tendency to when when he presented songs to to Petty to present them really as completely functioning demos. You could what you heard on the demo was pretty much what Iovine at the time would take and put out as a final product. Whereas Peck is drifted away from that kind of considered approach and is just, yeah, this sounds good, let's try this. And so it's, it, the, the the songs that I've mentioned have got a kind of almost loose jam-like where we'll press record and see what happens. And I, they don't work as well. But Jamming Me, which was a hit, which got Dylan's um, lyrical involvement, is a brilliant song. An absolutely quintessential heartbreaker opening track. Wonderful. Punchy, got an attitude, incredibly melodic, drives along wonderfully. And again, Stan Lynch just doing everything at the back. Um, But overall, a, a bit like Southern Accents, only half of it's any good. And this time you can't really blame the production. Here, it's it's a more exposed, a sort of glistening, bright, late 80s, crystal clear sound. And it's the, the average songs are very, very average indeed. But Jamming Me, Runaway Trains, It'll All Work Out, My Life, Your World, which got a, a new lease of life as something else when it is on American treasure, I think again, he's trying a different approach. You know, they've had the, uh, the IO being, you know, uh, you know, we've got to do this live. We've got to do this absolutely over and over and over again. And now it's gone the other side. It's, it's, it's more, okay, well, let's just try this. And, you know, we all know pretty much how the song goes. Let's have some spontaneous fun. Let's, let's cut loose. Hmm. What I find really? interesting about the mid eighties, interested interested in getting your thoughts on this. The mid eighties, yes, like you say, hit or miss with some of the songs. Some of the songs are great, but he did embrace the MTV era, or at least it seems so. 
definitely got a lot of help from MTV Airplay. What's the, the video for You Got Lucky? That Mad Max vibe to the, yes. that was yeah. a very popular video. So he wasn't just, it didn't look like he was just saying, all right, let's get this over. A lot of his contemporaries who came up in the 70s, I, I don't think they really were all that big of a fan. But he really embraced it and it worked. Yeah, and some of the videos, well, some of them are just plain weird. Some of them are great. Um, but it's a promotional tool, isn't it? And if you, you make a memorable video, then you, you've, your song's going to have more legs and hopefully the album that it comes from as well. So, yeah, it, it's another art form, another way of, um, of, of getting your message across. And there's a program on here in the UK recently which um, went through some of the, um, the videos that he'd released, um, mainly the ones around um, Full Moon Fever. Um, and it, it's it's very glossy and quite unusual. And when you look at them now, you realize just how dated they were. But at the time, it was cutting-edge photography and ideas. He had that look, too. He had the top hat. That was when he developed that look. Yes. That Tom Petty look, which worked so well for him. Yes, it's the uh, the, the Florida guy who's, no, who's now a Californian with the shades. And uh, although the top hat that you mentioned... It's interesting that going right back to the early days when he was breaking through in Britain and um, the States were just not um, warmed up yet, he, he, he would appear with a top hat on stage. And I remember seeing a couple of photos of him strutting around with a flying V. There's a big rock festival here called the Reading Festival, which the Heartbreakers appeared at. And yeah, he, he was there with the shades, the top hat and the flying V looking like nobody else ever. So I think that, that kind of, yeah, that, that, I think he must have had a liking for top hats. By the, a, a very English thing. <laughs> by the time we get to the late 80s, there is that dip there. He's starting to kind of slip off the mainstream track, but here he comes back with his first solo album, and it's Full Moon Fever. What leads up to that is the Traveling Wilburys Volume 1 album, which you include in the book, Tom's contributions in that from 1988. Yeah. Uh, that was released in yeah October of 88. And Petty joins Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Jeff Lynne, Roy Orbison. They record what really is, at least in my opinion, un, uh, just an unflawed album. The hit singles are the number three, Handle With Care, number 63, End of the Line. Petty contributes two songs, Last Night and Margarita. Do you have a pick between those two that he sings on, sings lead on? I think the, the songs you've identified... Handle with care and um, end of the line are the strongest ones. When I listened to the album again, I, I thought, well, the thing that characterizes the tra Traveling Wilburys for me is they're just a lot of guys with a lot of respect for each other having fun with acoustic guitars and making some great pop, light pop records. But it, it, it's, it's the kind of, it's almost like a, a a super group who re recorded their jam, not, not, not jam sessions, but, you know, recorded the fun they had together. And it's fabulous to listen to, but it's lightweight. So I, I, to me, nothing that Petty contributed to either of the Travelling World Bruce albums bothers me to listen to enough to listen to it again. Although the good songs are, you know, Oh, great. And George Harrison's lead of the group was, it was an inspired idea. But I don't think Petty was, to use a phrase I don't like, bringing his A-game to it. 
Yeah, I remember there were rumors that Springsteen might have been added to the lineup in place of Roy Orbison. They never replaced oh, wow. Roy Orbison. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Maybe that would have made a difference. Um, yeah, it certainly would have done. Don't know where that but rumor you, came from. Go. I don't even know if it was even a legitimate rumor based on any fact. But it would have been interesting. Well, you, you'd have had two of Rock's great mumblers, wouldn't you? Dylan <laughs> and Springsteen. Yeah. Out, out mumbling each other on on a song. It'd be, <laughs> it, it, it'd be fun to listen to, but... Um, yeah, yeah that, 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 that'd be too much of a super group. Yeah, yeah, right. Maybe that's what they thought but too. Springsteen, Springsteen's, a, Springsteen's a juggernaut on his own. Never mind putting him in with other people. Yeah, and it's Tom's work with Jeff Lynne that led to that first solo album, 1989's Full Moon Fever. Mm. The follow-up to Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, which we talked about a little bit, and that was somewhat of a letdown, at least commercially. Released in April of 89, the label waited for the Wilburys album to run its course, and then back he comes with Full Moon Fever. And I go back to your introduction and how Tom is told he has no chance of a career in music. He sets out to prove them wrong on Full Moon Fever, songs about his insistence on moving forward after an arsonist set fire to his home in Encino in 1987. Yeah. I mean, what must that be like? You, you, to come back from something like that, and then the, 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 mood, the over, overriding mood of Full Moon Fever, aside from Lynn's production style, is just the sort of resilience and optimism and sense of, um, you know, every day might be your last, so I'm going to enjoy today. Um, it's it's such a up-sounding album. And the, the strong songs, the big songs, Free Falling, I Won't Back Down, and Running Down a Dream, are absolutely top-of-the-tree petty songs. You know that they they have carried on in the set list. They're so popular, and and so they should be. But then you've got the other songs. A face in the crowd is another beautiful, melancholic, atmospheric, reflective number. Um, you've got the fun numbers. You're so bad, and the apartment song. Mind with a heart of his own in zombie zombie zoo, they're they're all they're all on the lighter side of life, and that's a an in, you know that always struck me as kind of a an interesting bounce back from what had nearly happened to him and his family to the point where yeah I'm going to write some happy songs now I'm happy, and that comes across, and then you ally in um, Lynn's production style and his heavy presence on the album, and it makes for a, a wonderful concoction of great summer sounds. But equally, there's, you know, you, you take the opening two tracks, Free Falling and I Won't Back Down, if, a, a little bit like American Girl and Breakdown. If the rest of the album was abysmal, you'd still think, well, that was worth my money because it's got those two songs on it. I don't think that overall it's as strong as its opening um, it, it drifts in the second half. Um, Depending upon you is a nice upbeat song. Love is a long, long love is a long road. Um, despite its kind of who references in the uh, in in the arrangements, is great stuff. But feel a whole lot better. Well, it's an adequate cover version. Yeah, so bad. Yeah, it's a fun kind of. It's it's quite amusing. It's light and it's fluffy. Um, all right for now is another 
absolutely beautiful little small ballad. Um, but it, the album drifts with a mind of, with a heart of its own and Zombie Zoo. To me, they are they're okay. It's when you opened with free falling and I won't back down, then that's quite a dip for the closing two tracks. I just can't believe that MCA initially passed on issuing this album when they heard these songs. You, they didn't think it would succeed. You, you, you do wonder about people. And equally, it, it's the case of everything. It's just somebody's opinion, isn't it? No, I, I can't hear the success in there. So, And how many other artists have written stuff of their version of this sort of caliber to have it rejected because somebody thinks it won't sell. Well, there's only one way to find out whether it sells or not, mate. <laughs> Let's face it, by, by then, Tom Petty didn't exactly have the, you know, the worst newcomer around his neck, did he? You know, you, this is a man who can write songs. So what were they thinking? But, you know, fortunately for us all, you know, corporate shifts up, shifts ups and uh, shake-ups and the rest of it, and people are gone, and then other people listen and say, yeah, this is really great. Yeah, well, it was great before. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. and, he, and he was far from giving up on it, too. Thus, the song, I Won't Back Down, again, it says it all. He felt those lyrics might have yeah. been too personal, but it's a song everyone can relate to. Oh, absolutely. You, you, you take any person from any walk of life, and you play them that song, and my bet is they'll find something in there to relate to. Some point in time when you thought, no, I'm not having this. Whether it's employment or a relationship or whatever, you know, a, a health issue, somebody says, well, you know, I'm afraid you won't be able to uh, to walk again. Well, I think you'll find I will. And it, it's that resolute determination, that digging your heels in, which I think people really relate to. And also, it acts as an anthem. I mean, you know, we're talking about the lyrics, but the actual music itself and the glorious harmonies on the chorus, that is transcendent. It just lifts the song. And when you hear the, listen to the live versions where he'd strip it right back to its origins, which is just him and an acoustic guitar and at a slower tempo, somehow it's even more powerful. It's an incredible trick. You take what is a, a great chugging, feel-good, driving rock anthem like that, and you then slow it down, play it just on a couple of guitars, and you can hear on, it might be on American Treasure again, but it's been on several of the live albums. There's a, 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 di a different version of it. That might be on the box set. What was the box set that had all of the, the live anthology? Are you referring to that one? Ah, yes. Now, let's dig that one out. Because that's where I want to go with this, is that it is so true, right. so true that he was able to make a song like I Won't Back Down, the studio version, so great, but even better live. And he did that with Learning to Fly, I thought, on that yes. collection. I get the goosebumps every time I hear that. And the crowd gets into it at the end. They start singing the chorus yeah. with him. And it's just him and his but guitar. It, it's it's so much more intimate. You haven't got the production bells and whistles. And it's interesting that both of those songs are, you know, from the Lynn era. But you, you, learning to fly, I think, is 
so much better, slower. And, you know, you're talking to a fan of rock music, but, you know, this is just a man and his guitar. And it, it's, it's, the, it's the theory of um, if it's a good enough song, you can pretty much do anything to it and it'll still work. So the crowd's expecting to hear the chugging of I Won't Back Down. They just get a slow interpretation, a very simple interpretation. And as you say, you come to the chorus and they are completely with it. They don't care that it's not um, the chugging rocker that they're used to. It's the song that matters, not the arrangement. And similarly with Learning to Fly, you take away all the splashy Jetlin production Underneath all of that is a very, very good song. And you get people sing, and, you know, a, a little bit like in, you go back to live versions of Breakdown, where you've got the, the audience singing the lyrics back at Petty. He, he won't sing the second verse, they just sing it for him. It's that sense of this song belongs to me. You happen to write it, but yeah, it, 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 this is me through and through. Everyone can find something in these songs that moves them immensely. And when you hear the, the slowed down versions, um, I, 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 to my eternal shame, I never got to see Tom Petty live in concert. No, huh? Um, Great show. It was. I've seen him two or three times. Uh, no, um, it was always a case of whenever he toured here, it, I. I couldn't get to see him for for work commitments. And um, it's just one of those regrets because to be in an audience where he's singing those songs, and not all of them work, but the ones that really do work, you just want to be there. You want to be in a crowd of 100,000 or whatever it is in Hyde Park. And just the appreciation of how good these songs are. Um, Yes, it's, it's an astonishing gift. And I think it speaks to his his courage, his adventurousness, and his belief in his fans, at least by that time, for sure, by the time we get to the early 90s, to take a song that's a huge hit single, not play it exactly as it's heard on the radio, as most people would have expected when they buy a ticket to a show. But he wanted to take his fans and the audience just slightly to the left, slightly to the right, slow it down, try it differently. It's somewhat of a risk, especially when somebody's paying quite a bit for a ticket. And when it pays off, it proves that, again, he's got that courage, but also the belief in his fans. By that time, they would follow yeah. him wherever he went. It, uh, exactly that. And also, I mean, it keeps the music fresh for the musicians. Sure. But it, it, it gives the audience a thought of, oh, I've never heard say I won't back down or I'll, I'll learn to fly. I've never heard them like that. That's so good. I loved it. Um, so you, you never get the feeling that he's misstepped. He's just saying, well, you know, this song started out like this. So I thought I'd play it to you like this. And when you hear, um, you know, Southern accents, which the live version, you dispense with the string. So it's an even more sparse song, him on piano, the, the backbeat on the rimshot drums and then Campbell just giving some amazingly emotive slide guitar touches. You, you don't think that the studio version of that can get any better, and yet somehow it does. 
it's the absence of all the want to repeat myself bells production bells and whistles and leaving space for a just a really good song to exert its power over people and i think it does speak to that loyalty to his fans which unfortunately i think in the end was the issue where he was told take a year off get your hip yeah. fixed but i think he wanted to continue on and keep going and so as a result the painkillers Get back on yeah, the road. I mean that, and that—that's the—that's the downside of that stubbornness, isn't it? You know, he—he he absolutely was. You know, you, I, I read somewhere that you know he was being wheelchaired to the stage, and you just think at that point, no, you know, follow the medical advice. Yeah, his fans recover. wouldn't have thought any less of him. Sure, absolutely not. not. No, no. He, he just you know, any others. Any other occupation, any other profession where you've got a broken hip, but you still want to go and do your job? No, don't. You know, your your love for what you do, you don't have to. You don't have to put yourself through pain for us. We would rather this tour was cancelled and you get yourself well. We'll still be here. Don't you worry. Yeah, <laughs> we will wait. But I think that it's that sort of doggy determination, you know, which did so well or was so good for him in the early part of his career that I think he'd taken it a bit too far then. Listen to what the doctors tell you. Yeah, then you can do it again. And still, what just, is it, four years? We're coming up on four years since he passed, and I still get that little bit of, damn it, man, why, you should still be here. And I'm just a fan. Yeah. I can imagine a friend or family member. Like, why didn't you just take some time off? Because he was not um, the, he was not among those from his era at that age that I don't think anybody would have predicted would have died so young. Sixty five, oh, I think he was. It was an absolute. You, you talk about being knocked sideways. When I heard the news, it it was a punch, an actual punch to the chest. Same here. And you thought, well, no, this, no, no, this is internet stupidity. This is a rumor. This is, this is just people being stupid. And then you come to the kind of thought, there's never going to be any more. Well, there won't be any more petty songs. But yes, we, we're getting things coming through like um, Wildflowers and all the rest, and Angel Dream, which is fantastic. But the the fact that he, he won't be writing any new material, and if he put out a press release saying, you know, unfortunately, I'm not physically well enough to tour, but hey, I'm going to still keep writing songs and recording albums, everybody will be happy with that. But I think it's just the fact that he always saw himself and the Heartbreakers as a live band first and foremost, and that's what they did. You know, here's another record, yeah, but then we can get out and tour it. And that's that that was his sort of it, such an intrinsic part of his personality and nature that he he just couldn't not do it. But it's it, it is so sad because to not have any more songs and you know when you listen to the acoustic um, song songs on Wildflowers and all the rest and you realise just how me how many songs there are that he just decided not to put out. Well, you know the quality's still there. You know, sit down, write and record these songs, and if you don't tour, that's fine. 
you know, we still think you're brilliant. The Booked on Rock podcast will return after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Paul Sexton, author of Prince, a portrait of the artist in Memories and Memorabilia. And you're listening to the Booked on Rock podcast with Eric Sinich. We're back with more of the Booked on Rock podcast. It is astounding how many hits he had, let alone just great songs that aren't hits, but the hits, the collection was remarkable. And what's so amazing about that 1993 Greatest Hits collection is that it includes not just previous hits, but a song that would be yet another huge hit, Mary Jane's Last Dance. That is another Uh, one. Rick Rubin produced that, right? Yeah, and what a breath of fresh air that is. Rick Rubin makes the Heartbreakers sound like the Heartbreakers, and it's been a long time coming. But it's not just the production. Mary Jane's Last Dance is a brilliant song. And it doesn't sound, it's, it's a quintessential Heartbreakers song. You can tell that, it, that it's them. You know, it's the petty vocals. It's got that, that groove that Lynch just delivers time after time. But it, it doesn't sound like a retread of any previous Heartbreakers song. It's a new Heartbreakers song. Utterly brilliant. And it still gets played on rock radio here in the UK. And it sounds fresh. It sounds important. It, it's melodic. You, it's, you sing along to it. It's so memorable. And, you know, that, to me, when Lynn's out of the way and Ruben takes control behind the desk, that is the next time when Petty's stuff really begins to, to work. I can do without most of Full Moon Fever. I can definitely do without Into the Great Wide Open um, and Let Me Up Have Had Enough and Southern Accents. Yeah, they're, they're all patchy. But then when Rubin takes, you know, takes the control seat, suddenly we're back to where we should be. This is where we get to the Wildflowers era. Rick Rubin, mm. the producer, Stan Lynch out, got a new drummer in, Steve Ferrone. And there was every five years, 
Patty would transition into a new sound, have some fun with something different. And he starts with Wildflowers. You wreck me, it's good to be king. The highlight, you don't know how it feels. The Jefflin sound, no more. And on this song, the beat's different. Very spacious, as you describe in the book. Dry, muscular drums providing a solid backbone to the song. And if I recall correctly, Tom Petty, that was a direction he wanted to go in with the beats. Yeah, the um, the, the the absence of Lynch is yeah. The, the people have commented that um, Steve Perone, fantastic drummer, but it's to, to me. It, I, I, I really do not wish to be unkind here. To me, he's more of a human drum machine. And I think that's what Tom Petty wanted, though, right? He wanted the yeah. simpler. Uh, I, mm. I was always interested in that. I respected that with Tom Petty. I, I wished he hadn't gone that route with the beats, but that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to yep. try something also, different. When you're that far into your career, you, I can understand. You don't want to just keep doing the same thing over and over again. No, you, you, you criticize for repetition. And also there was the, the personality clash between Lynch and Petty and seemingly Lynch was just about everybody else yeah, in the band. But he certainly could um, have gotten a Stan Lynch-like drummer. Not exactly. Nobody's There's no there's nobody that can match Stan Lynch. No. But he could have gotten somebody that would fall in line with that Stan Lynch sound. But he didn't. I think he intentionally went the Stan, other way. Stan Lynch, to me, has got elements of Keith Moon to him. You know, there's uncontrollable, there's passionate, there's sheer dig your heels in difficult moodiness. But also, when he does a roll around the kit or he drives along a groove, you think, oh, that is so good. But then again, you're not stuck in the recording studio with him or on tour, and you're not, you know, when you're in a band, it's the personalities. And when they mesh, it's fantastic. And when they don't, it's absolute hell. And I think things have got to the point where, and from both sides, that Lynch had had enough, Petty had had enough, and the parting of the waves was, well, that's it good so yes it's kind of a right now i'm not going to get a, a standling sound like because i don't want to you know i want to drive my own vehicle here i don't want to be accused of oh well you've just got you know you've got rid of the quote problem personality unquote but you've got somebody who drums like him so yeah there's i think a very clear decision to sound different and then you you add in rubin's production to that and you think golly that's you compare Wildflowers with um, Full Moon Fever, and it's chalk and cheese. It really is. You're a big fan of Wildflowers? A lot of tracks oh, on it. A lot of tracks on it, but as a whole? Overall, yeah, because the good outweighs the bad. Um, I'm not bothered by Time to Move On or Only a Broken Heart, but then you've got You Don't Know How It Feels, which is just magnificent. Good to be king superb you wreck me again that, that's a quintessential heartbreaker song that could have come from any time anywhere um honeybee is fun don't fade on me hard on me cabin down below to find a friend higher place and house in the woods are highlights for me i think they're just wonderful songs but they're wonderful sounding songs as well calling back to you less bothered by but the big ballad at the end, wake up time. That sense of, you know, when he, that, that confessional style of not quite singing, not quite speaking, somewhere in between, just bl blending the two vocal 
approaches, I think is just a magnificent piece of work. You know what song then, jumped out at me recently? It came up on random mm. to find a friend. You you mentioned that just <laughs> yeah. It, it jumped out <laughs> at me, and funny. I never realized how great of a song it was. But I think it's because I'm older now, so the I'm I'm a, That's connecting it, with it? the lyrics yeah. right off the bat. He writes in the middle of his life. He left his wife, ran off to be bad. Boy, it was sad. Guy who buys a new car, yeah. finds a new bar, goes under a different name. He's just trying to change everything, but in the end, he can't. He can't find. He, he's lost in the in, in mid yeah. midlife crisis, and that's something. Yes. When I when I got the album, I'm in my twenties. Now I'm in my late forties, and I listen to it like, and musically, sonically, it's beautiful. But the lyrics hit me. I just it just popped up randomly one day. And it's funny. Certain I, lyrics or certain songs pass you by at a certain time, and then yeah. you re-listen. It's like how did I miss this song of, first time around? I, I yeah, well, it, 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 it's relevant now because you've got your own kind of history. And everyone can think, oh, yeah, now, oh, yeah, that, that really matters. I'll, I'll get the hang of that now. Uh, it was very, very, <laughs> very odd. Last, yesterday was my wife and I's 10th wedding anniversary. And um, Congratulations. A, a, <laughs> yeah, more, more to her than to me. Yeah. If any woman can put up with me for that long, she deserves a medal. Oh, she just bought me there. Thank you, darling. That's um, why I'm single. But, right? Nobody can put up with me. <laughs> <laughs> well... We, we were in the taxi coming back from the railway station, and to find a friend was playing. The taxi oh. driver had got it on his on his playlist, and I, I was mindful of the fact that we'd be ch- we'd be chatting today. And you just think, oh, isn't that just a beautiful moment? It's that like, dun, 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 dun. and it's a light song, and it, you initially think, yeah, that's that's a nice little bouncy fun number, and then you start to pay attention to the words because you're of an age where either you or somebody you know has actually done that kind of stuff. I think, yeah, this guy's got wisdom right from his, you know, teen years, right through to, you know, the final decades of his life where he's just writing about things but conveying them to people and you you just latch onto them. Don't worry, the song will be there when when you're ready for it. Yeah. And again, prompting and, uh, emotion in the most concise way. How about the lyric, and the days went by like paper in the wind? And you think yeah, of how these brilliant. days just go flying by, one after the other. Yeah. And it, it, it's, a, again, it's just one of those perfect lines. Because you can picture it, you know, you, you go, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my home studio here, talking to you, stack a paper in front of me, and if, I, if, the windows, if the wind comes through the windows, then they're all gone. Um, but yeah, you've got that as a kind of, yeah, it just goes and it goes and it goes. But what takes other people, you know, myself included, um, a, a lot to say what he means. He, Petty's gift is just to, to boil it down to its essence and then not to make it sound banal or forgettable. Yeah, you've, you've got that. Again, it's a tattoo lyric, isn't it? The days go by. Yeah. Like paper in the wind. That'll go around my wrist, I think. Yeah, yeah we'll fit around the wrist. All down. <laughs> oh, I've got a big nose. It could go down my nose as well. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Take a picture of that. Either, either side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, and you would think Petty at this point would have 
written a whole bunch of stuff and put out a whole bunch of albums from that point on. But I think there were some things going on there in his personal life. I believe it was the late 90s where his drug addiction kicked in, which was, again, a surprise, the heroin addiction. But he did finish out the 90s with his contribution to the She's the One soundtrack. That was 96. Yes. Had Wall's uh, number 10 album, Echo, 1999. And that had Free Girl Now. A few of my favorite underrated 90s petty songs, by the way, from from Echo, Room at the Top and Swingin'. Uh, Oh, great songs. Great songs. And they were on the radio, but then kind of left the radio, and that was it. But what what are your thoughts on on the rest of his 90s output? Because she's the one. It's quirky. It it almost harks back at times to the oddity Oddities production-wise, the first couple of albums where you'd had sound effects and things starting and stopping. Um, Walls, a great song. Climb That Hill, equally good. A couple of cover versions with um, Asshole and uh, Change the Logs. Songs that I wasn't familiar with, but are really, really good. California is terrific. It's a wonderful piece of work. But there's some there's some dips as well. Although Drill it fast. It's, it, it really does kick, that one. Uh, ironically, I did go and see the film, and I've never wanted to see it again. But the actual album, the soundtrack album, really good. And then just recently, and this came out past um, the publication date, so I couldn't um, write about it, Angel Dream, which is the reimagining, drops a couple of songs, but puts in some, some new stuff. So... That that's the kind of that's got the Ryan Ulyate almost godlike touch in his ability to just lift things in the mix and reposition them. So you think, oh, that song sounds better, but you don't know why it sounds better. It just does. There's some. There's a bit more air in the sound. There's just instrumentation or levels that enhance the songs. So there's some. That, that, I, I, I like the quirkiness of those, but Echo, which is sort of, the, I suppose, the divorce album, and as you mentioned, the the addiction problems. It's it looks like it's a dark album from the cover with the black and white photo and um, Howie Epstein not being featured, though he played on the album. But um, the, his own struggle with uh, drugs, he, he just didn't turn up for the photo shoot. So Petty, being Petty, just. Well, we'll just take it without you then. Doesn't that cover um, say it all too, huh? Dark, grim, black and yeah. white, hiding behind some looks like bushes, shades and out of focus, and bare yeah, branches, or weeds, or something. But yeah, dark. You, you, you can recognize Petty, but you'd have to take a guess at the others. Right, they're covered up. Um, but I, the the the, the, the songs themselves, I I think it's incredibly strong. Um, Room at the Top is such a powerhouse. I mean, it's an unusual opening track, but it, it's it got such a grind to it with the guitars. and the, it's, it's Rubin's production. It's, it's a masterpiece. Counting on You is, is fine. Free Girl Now is great, real stomp-along stuff. Lonesome Sundown is beautiful. I mean, it's just an absolute gem of a song. And Campbell's playing on that is outstanding. He doesn't do much. He, he always does enough. He does just enough for the song. Sometimes it'll be flash, but very rarely. He, he can, you know, he's a fabulous guitarist. Um, but part of that fabulousness 
is just in knowing when not to play. Minimalist. And just, yeah. But then he'll come up with something, oh, that's tasty, that's so good. But every single track on this, Swinging, Accused of Love, Echo, Won't Last Long, Billy the Kid, I mean, they just keep coming. I don't want to fight. I think Campbell is the singer on that. Very rare. This one's for me, no more. There isn't a, there is not a Dove track on Echo, and yet it's overlooked. To me, it's the best album since, I would say, overall, um, since the end of the golden sort of era of um, Long After Dark. I think it is so strong. Yeah, I remember being surprised that the singles were getting airplay on just rock radio. The top 40 days were, I think, over at that point. Yeah. And that's just the business. That's the nature of the beast. It doesn't speak to the album and quality of the songs, as you just alluded to. There's nothing wrong with Echo at all. I think it's... uh, And I think part of the reason I like it is that it's not full moon fever, bright and shiny. Um, There's real grit in the production. And you can hear so much of what's going on. But the songs themselves... And the closer, One More Day, One More Night, is a massive power ballad. You know, Scorpions and people like that would kill to write music this good. Um, it's just superb. But it gets passed over um, because it's not filled with recognisable um, you know, big sky hits like I Won't Back Down and Free Falling. You know, I've got nothing against Free Falling at all. You know, I think it's an amazing song, but I think if Free Falling had been given the Rubin treatment, then it would have been untouchable. I think I'm going to go for a ride today and and pop this one in and give it a listen start start (laughs) to finish. I think if anything I take out of this interview, which are many things, I really, because I have not listened to the whole album Echo in a long time. I plucked songs from it and put it into my favorite Tom Petty collection and hit random but i really should give this another full listen it's been a while i think by that time late 90s early 2000s which is the problem with as we get into 2000s so many distractions and options and places to go that the days of me paying close attention and setting aside time to listen to a whole album were getting less and less and i don't like to admit that because that's the beauty of listening to these albums from all of these great artists, not just Tom Petty, all of these classic rock artists, is to take time out, sit down, and listen to it. And that's the the vinyl era was the best for that, because you really had to set out some time, put it on the turntable, yeah. listen, grab something to, you know, grab a glass of wine or a beer or whatever and chill out and listen. Much more involving, yeah. You, you, or if it was Pink Floyd, light went up. Or Grateful Dead. Yeah. Whatever your whatever your choice of yeah, but, but yeah there, there was a, there was there was there, there was effort involved. You need to take <laughs> the album out of the sleeve. You need to put it on the turntable. And you need to do this. So right, I put I put all this effort in. Listen to me, but um, yeah, I put this on because I want to hear this. And now it's yeah. I mean, technology has completely changed everything. Well, I, I remember easier to, just to get to a song, but yeah, I mean, I, you talked about when you became a Petty fan and how you'd collect all of the albums. I look back on those days when I, in those days, 
I didn't have a whole lot of money in high school, working a part-time job, whatever I had. Oh, God, yeah. You know, so I, when I went to the store, record store, and buy a, an album, and then it was cassette. So whether it's vinyl, cassette, CD, it was a commitment in a way. That album Absolutely. was going to be part of yeah. your life. And I think that is yeah. now gone today with streaming services. You can see a new album come out. Oh, cool. I'll stream that whole album, or I'll download that whole album and listen to it. And then you don't, you don't make that commitment to it yeah um it, it's, it's it's swings and roundabouts isn't it you can you can get hold of anything now and you can listen to it instantly but i can remember as a teenager right i need to get on a bus because i lived in a village okay so it's a bus ride and i've got x amount of money so i know that that's going to be I could, i've probably got saved up enough for two albums so i've got to be really careful here because if i you know make a tragic error and buy a Kiss album, that's five pounds gone. <laughs> Apologies to any Kiss fans out there. They just don't do no it No offense me. taken as a um, Kiss fan. No, that's no. okay. <laughs> but you, you, you did make those stumbles. You thought, oh, what? oh no. Yeah. You know, I thought this would be good and it's not. Oh, and, and the sense of that was a bad investment. I mean, money's money, but it's the emotional impact or the kind of connection that you get that you're searching for and everybody's done it you bought an album thought yeah so and so from that you have to be really good it's absolutely not good and then this you you come to echo which you know gets passed over by so many people you oh echo's got depth great songs it's got an immense amount of emotion it goes over so many um moods and styles and if you think that Petty stops rocking, then you really haven't listened to it properly because there's half a dozen absolute crackers on that. And I have to say, you know, put that against Full Moon Fever and Echo gets the spin every time. I was just Don't about to, I wanted to give you my Full Moon Fever story that has to do with this <laughs> connection to an album. In 1989, that's when I told you I became a fan. Summer of 1989, mm. and I was 17. And I got a job at the local school that summer. It was good money, but it was a miserable job working inside. You're cleaning, just scraping gum off the desks, you know, doing the waxing of the floors. And, and you know, it was just, it was like 95 degrees inside of there. And my solace was my Walkman. And at the time, I had a very sparse collection of, of cassettes. I had the cassette logic case that had two sides. I think it held 60 cassettes. And I, didn't even, I think I had half of it filled, if that. And one of the cassettes I had was Full Moon Fever. And I, that had to be with me when I went to work that morning. I strapped on that cassette logic thing. It's like, if I forgot it, I'd be pissed because I needed yeah. that. that I embr- it was like my best friend, those cassettes. All of those cassettes were like, I need these with me today. And uh, I, I left, yeah. I left it, the flap open, and the sun beat down and melted all of the cassettes. Oh, and, no. and, 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 but the Full Moon Fever, although it was melted, it still worked. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. I played that thing until it died. It, got, it, was, it was so, you know, the cassette tapes, you played so many times, it's just like, you know, hissing. And I had to buy yeah. another copy, and then eventually a CD, and then eventually... But I always think about that summer and how much that album meant to me. Just having that album, yeah. those two, three songs. And then when we get to the fall months, I go back to school. I look back in that summer. And every time I would listen to one of those songs, I, and to this day when I hear those songs. It takes songs, you back. Yeah, yeah. It, absolutely. It, 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 it's a time machine, isn't it? It moves you completely. Yeah. And 
people have you know, emotional support animals, um, you know, for flights or whatever. To me, out, certain albums are emotional support albums. If I didn't have them, I, I wouldn't listen to them all the time. But if I didn't have a certain album, and it's not just petty stuff, I'm a fan of a lot of stuff. Every artist has got one or two albums that, I, if that wasn't in my collection, I would not feel too stable. I, I would have to have it because it, it very similar reasons. It's it's got it's got emotional heft. It's got memories. It's got a, a pulling power yeah. that um, you need. Yeah, and, I'm going to put this on because I know it'll make me feel better. I'm feeling angry. I'm going to put on Sabotage by Black Sabbath. There you wow. go. Good I feel pick. Better now. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. And how could you not want to go back in my position at that time? How could you not want to go back and get all of the previous albums? How could you not? You just cha- yeah. you're chasing that. And then because and then, if this this is this good, what about all the others? Right. Yes. Now you ne- you never meet these folks. You don't ever if you're lucky enough, maybe you can meet them, get to interview them, whatever, but you're likely never going to meet them. You don't know who they are. It's but it's their music that becomes your best friend and it's the music that they wrote. Completely. It's, a, it's a part of them, so you feel that connection to them. And it was a really emotional day when he when he passed. And it wasn't yeah. like with Jerry it, Garcia, where you knew he was having health issues. Sad, yet eh, saw that coming, you know. But Tom Petty, no way, no way. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's a when your heroes die, it, it, you know, you you might in the states you not, might not be familiar with um, well the band Status Quo. Yeah, oh yeah, they're huge in the UK. Not as big here, but yeah, yeah they, they, never, never they, made as... they open Live Aid, right? That's, exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm one of, of another book in the similar vein is coming out. I've written on Status Quo for a specific period, um, and then they reinvented themselves for about four decades, and they're terrible. But the rhythm guitarist, Rick Parfit, died very suddenly, and you, it, it, it's kind of, good God, you know, he's six years older than I am, and he's dead. Yeah. And yes, the, he has lived the rock and roll lifestyle several times over, but it, it's it's that sense of no, you you can't be dead because you're Rick Parfit because you're Tom Petty, and Tom Petty's don't die; they carry on releasing great albums. That's what Tom Petty does. So, you know, it's this sort of denial. That it's it's happened. It's it's almost as if you have lost a personal friend. And yep. this comes from someone who you know I haven't even seen the guy. You know, never mentioned seen him live. Yeah, watch the videos. That's no substitute. Got all the albums, read books, but you've you, I've lost a friend. Yeah, who I've never met. I don't understand how this is happening, but it's because all the songs at various times, have helped me, lifted me, you know, moved me. They've, they've done something, and they've always been there. Of course, the choice, they always will be there, but there won't be any more, and that's the kind of, wow, that's the tap turned off then, is it? The Booked on Rock podcast will return after this.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back with more of the Booked on Rock podcast. The 2000s output there from Petty. I my personal yeah. favorite from the 2000s is Mojo, but in the 2000s we had the last DJ in 02, Highway Companion 06. He reformed yep. Mudcrutch for an album in yeah. 2008, but again, my my personal favorite again is Mojo from 2010. There was the other one after, which is another great one that was Hypnotic Eye 2014. But yeah. with Mojo, he does make that shift again. This time it's like a British blues, Peter Green, Fleetwood Mac era sound, which I know. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mike Campbell even was quoted as saying that in Rolling Stone. He was looking for that tone. Just your thoughts on that I, music yeah. he put out in the 2000s before he passed. Well, The Last DJ, I, it, it, it skitters all over the place. There's some great stuff on it, but it's inconsistent. Um, songs like um, Dreamville are, and. Um, can't stop the song. Can't stop the sun, as well as the title track. Is great. He goes a bit Pink Floyd on Joe. Um, Money becomes king. Is um, again. It's. it's, it's I, I describe it as the album that um, bites the hand that feeds. But he's he's really had. He's got a chip on his shoulder on that one. Um, my understanding is that the blues plays such a feature of the bands when they were jamming, rehearsing improvising you know it's a backbone to so much well every part of rock and roll so mojo where they go much more heavily blues and then they they turn away from it as well because you've got the don't pull me over which is the sort of <laughs> very very strange reggae reggae light song um and it's it's a very very good guitar album um, first flash of freedom, I think is, is that's the one with the the line, she was a part of my heart and now she's a scar in my face or something like that. Brilliant. Yeah, that's an Allman Brothers like jam. Yeah, so they, they really stretch out and whereas in the you know most of the songs are, are, are very concise, here you've got six or seven minutes where they're just enjoying being a band, and I think that's 
that's really refreshing. And you know, something good coming is a lovely song. Mm-hmm. Good enough is a belter of an ender. Um, but then you get on to hypnotic eye or mud crutch. I'll just briefly touch on mud crutch and mud crutch too. Um, mud crutch is a whole load of fun. Scare easy is a brilliant song. Absolutely outstanding. It's I won't back down. Take two. Um, but then you've got this lovely upbeat country feel through it. And a couple of instrumentals like shady grove and June apple. Um, just a a, a, a a real joy to listen to. And also, I think in the sleeve notes, it says something like, you know, just captured live a lot of love or something, I, I paraphrase. But that's what comes across. It's getting the old band back together and they're all of an age now um, and all very comfortable in their own skins. But they're just going to make great music and have fun doing it. And when we get to Hypnotic Eye, which... I, I was surprised to learn it was a, a number one album. I, his first number one for for decades. But it's again, it's a very disparate collection. Um, there's full grown boy is odd. It's it's a sort of pseudo light jazz number. But there's so many other. There's some really good stuff on this. Um, and again, the lyrically, there's again he, he just captures lines and shadow people. The closing track, you know, which describes what from shadow people, what's in their head, you know, and what people are capable of. What the lyrics? Well, I ain't on the left and I ain't on the right. I ain't even sure I've got a dog in this fight. Brilliant, and it's a very satisfying album. A lot. It's a. It's a lot. A lot more varied than than Mojo, but again, it, it doesn't sound tired. It, there's there's a sense of the band are really working at putting life and fresh ideas into petty songs, and it's such a shame that that's the last you know, all new petty product. I mean, we've had the the reissue of Wildflowers and all the rest, and then lastly, there's been Angel Dream. So you're getting some new material, and Wildflowers really got the treatment. And it's an absolute joy to hear songs from that period that he rejected because he didn't like them enough, or it wasn't thought they were good enough at that time. You think, wow, if I'd have written those songs, I'd have been pretty happy with that. But no, no, I've got some better ones in me somewhere. What? You really have? Yes, you really have. So it's kind of the fact that Wildflowers is so big, and in the main, so good. You think, well, the guy's so prolific. Hopefully, there's going to have been that there'll be other petty stuff coming along in whatever form, whether it's demos or remixes or you know. I, I, I don't. I don't care as long as something comes along. Yeah. <laughs> if it's if got petty on it, there's a very strong probability that I will buy it. I'm a. I'm a bit of a completist like that, but equally, you hear. You know, it, if, if it's got the killer lines or the killer hook or the killer sneer in his voice or the, just the beautiful ballad, I'm, I'm very happy with that. Any of those will do. You know, just bring it on. And if you and ran into someone who never heard of Tom Petty or knew, heard of Tom Petty but never heard any of his music before, if you could pick just one album and one song to introduce them, which ones would they oh, be? 
Oh, I was dreading out a question uh, like this. Yeah, you knew it was coming. <laughs> you knew it was coming. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I thought, oh, don't ask me to nail it down because I can't. I can't. Well, I think we, you'd have to go to those first um, first handful of albums. I, yeah, I if okay, some here's someone who's never heard of Tom Petty. Pick a song, it, depending upon the person, but I think my go-to song would be "The Waiting" from Hard Promises. Okay, I think that is just an outstanding piece of music because it's just got such passion, enthusiasm, fire, energy. It's so melodic. But, you know, it's a bit like picking your favourite child. You know, it's... Well, perhaps it's easier in some cases. But you you go through every single album. Then you go to all the big numbers, like, oh, well, you did Refugee. Oh, yeah, I like Refugee. Well, okay. And you did I Won't Back Down. Oh, I really like that. Good. Well, But there's so much more. You know, you, you pick the greatest hits. Fine. And they're all great songs, but they're not the only great songs. So I, I've, in the sort of the ballady side of things, I would go with Southern Accents, which to me is perfection in songwriting. An astonishing piece of work. But equally, Wake Up Time, really, really strong. So it's the consistency. You, you could pretty much put your toe down anywhere and you'd be on solid ground. Tom Petty, every album, every song, available August 27th. And it's available wherever books are sold, also through burningshed.com backslash Sonic Bond. And if you have a local independent bookstore, pick up a copy there. Support not just the author, but your local independent bookstore. A link to find your nearest bookstore and the Burning Shed Sonic Bond site on our show notes page. Any other sites you want to direct people to get a copy, Richard, or are those does that cover it? No, that 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 covers it. I mean, I completely support your 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 thing about the the bookstores. I adore bookstores because, and that's how this started. I walked into a bookstore in London and saw uh, the, in the companion series Queen, every song, every album on track. I thought, oh, I'm a fan of Queen. I like that. I'll pick that up. I'll read. And in the back, there was the we're looking for new authors. If you can write and you're interested, you know, if you can, you know write intelligently about music, then we'd like to hear from you. So that's where this started, because of a bookstore. I, I wouldn't have written this if I hadn't been in browsing a bookstore. It, it, um, it's Foils in Charing Cross Road, famous bookshop in London. Big music department. Up I go. I can spend an hour in there very happily. Oh, that looks interesting. Yeah, I'll buy that. I like that. So someone's written about Queen. I like Queen. Oh, look. What's in the back? Oh, Yes. Who haven't they published a book? Haven't written and my first book was about the uh, the rock band UFO. So the very fact that I'm talking to you and people can, you know, get hold of the book and agree or disagree or <laughs> burn it or <laughs> frame it is all because there was a bookshop that I could go into and have a wander around and pick up something interesting. So yes, if it's if it's a case of clicking on it or walking into a building and buying it please walk into the building because there may be something else in there that, um, you know, you hadn't thought of Um, because it's opened up a new chapter in my life because I've got two or three other books in production um, for the same company. And it's, especially with the pandemic, having closed down work so badly in my particular sector, it's given me something very productive to do. 
So I'm, you know, completely behind people going to bricks and mortar places, talking to the staff and finding out, you know, what's available because it's it's opened up a brand new door to me. Richard, it was great talking Tom Petty with you. Thank you very much, Eric. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks to Richard James for taking us through his book, Tom Petty, Every Album, Every Song. Be sure to subscribe to Booked on Rock at Spreaker or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can find us online at bookedonrock.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bookedonrockpodcast, on Twitter at bookedonrock, the email address thebookedonrockpodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact me through the website. And if you're an author of a book on rock and you want to be on the podcast, just send me an email. I'm Eric Senich. Look forward to having you back again next time for another discussion with another great author here on Booked on Rock. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.